Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of We Talk Photo. I'm one of your co-hosts, John Peterson, and with me, as always, is Mr. Jack Graham. Hello there, everybody. Hello, Jack. It's another sunny day up here in the Pacific Northwest, thankfully. Heat waves. It's going to be 80 today. Yeah, Ooh, that's good. Hey, at least it's not raining, so uh, that's a good thing. It's coming. Well, Today, folks, we have a really special guest for y'all to listen to. Uh, She is an energetic, exciting, exuberant, talented individual, and her name is Karen Hutton. Hi, Karen. Hi, guys. How you doing? We're doing good. Thanks for joining us. Karen is a, I'll I'll describe it, but I'm going to ask you to describe yourself. She's a photographer. She's a voice artist. And and the quote that I love the best is a purveyor of awesomeness. <laughs> I love that too. I just it doesn't mean necessarily I'm awesome. It just means I purvey it. Yeah, and that's a that's a big big distinction. Right? That's even more awesome. Oh my god, it's like awesome squared. <laughs> yeah, so it, hopefully you guys can hear all of her wonderful energy. So Karen, let's let's start with you a little bit and talk about you. Why don't you give everybody a uh, just kind of a brief rundown of of who you are and what makes you tick? Oh my god, that would take an hour. Yeah. And you guys wanted a break, right? Yeah, exactly <laughs> um, right. Basically, I'm a photographer and like you said, I also do voiceovers. I've done that forever and saw no reason to stop. And um, people know me mostly as a travel and landscape photographer these days, but I, I do lots and lots of different things. And um, I lead photography retreats, and I partner with Fujifilm, and I do all kinds of fun projects and seek seek the meaning of life. And you do it well. That's where we bet, uh, folks. Um, Seeking the meaning of life. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> for you. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> We're both uh, Fuji X photographers, and as you can tell, we, you know we've done some um, done some events together, and we yeah, I remember we had a nice uh, dinner. Where was that? Somewhere? That oh, in L.A. New the, York. Oh, actually, I thought it was in New York. No, it was in L.A. Remember we went to that big steak place. I that, get mixed up. That with Dan, the you and I and Dan Bailey. I remember. I remember the dinner. I just didn't remember the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was in L.A. at the XH1 party. So Karen and I know each other from the Fujifilm community and have I've had the pleasure of, uh, you know, working with Karen a little bit. And that's why it was really uh, important that we get Karen on here um, in the kind of the first 10, 12 episodes. I don't know what we're up to now, John, of this podcast. And um, Karen, tell us uh, – so uh, – where, where did you start out um, in photography? And maybe just briefly walk us through your photography history and then maybe your how you got into the voiceover business because that's very interesting. Um, well, actually, photography was responsible for everything, <laughs> including voiceover in a way. I grew up with a camera in my hand. My family had been photographing even before I was born. We found... We found photos of the Norwegian side of my mother's family coming to America on a steamer that they had taken these amazing photos cavorting on the deck. They were prints, obviously, I think from either the early 1900s or 1800s. I don't know. But a fun-loving bunch they were. And uh, 
So I was like, well, I guess I had no chance. So, I mean, you know, I would get all my all the hand-me-down cameras of my mom and dad. And then in junior college, I was planning to go and be a professional photographer and started studying. And, of course, you start with black and white. And I loved the dark room. But the chemicals hated me and they tried to kill me. And um, I got so sick from them, I couldn't continue, which was completely devastating. But... Uh, I had a really long list of things I wanted to do. So I never stopped photographing, even though I had to put the darkroom down and not focus on it full time anymore. And, uh, you know, on that list, my mother was a horseman. So I was riding and training horses at that point. And I was a figure skater and a dancer and a singer and a, an actor. I think I said that. And the acting was how I got into voice or, yeah, it was how I got into voiceover. But I pursued all of that because photography didn't work out then. Where so, was this? this in California? When what? Where was this? Was This This in- was in Santa Rosa, California. I lived in Glen Ellen yep. in, the, in the Valley of the Moon in wine country. And, Beautiful. yeah, we had a ranch, and it was awesome. That's, that, that's a... <clears throat> that is one creative area, too. That's always... Oh, my goodness, Yeah. <laughs> a lot um so you've done man you've done even i i never even knew you were into acting yeah i made my living as you know an actor you know i've always done multiple things i don't know what it is with me and just doing one thing i don't seem to be able to do that so it's always been this and that so it was acting and training horses (laughs) at that time and i worked on camera and you know in the san francisco bay area and sometimes in la and did it long enough to get well known enough to start being recognized in the streets, and really didn't like that. Hmm. I you loved know. I loved acting, and I loved you know the sport of it, but I sure didn't like being recognized, and I didn't really like what it requires, who and what it requires you to be. Yeah, well, you know, it's I agree with you, and I don't I don't think I mean I don't have that problem. John doesn't have that problem, but yeah. I mean if you're it's super famous. We talk. My wife and I talk about it all the time. You can't, can't go out to eat. You can't, you know. I mean, it's it's hell. I know, yeah. Jack. You know. You, you know can't how live a normal is. life. No. Well, yeah. Jack's not normal anyway, so that works out. <laughs> no. Yeah, and and they don't. Like, people on my own street don't even recognize. And that's why we right. love him. I think I it's just, the wig. <laughs> I just starting to recognize myself sometimes. <laughs> so, so Karen. You're, you're, uh, you know, one of the things you do is travel. You've uh, got a really extensive portfolio of images from, you know, across the U.S. and across the world. And, and what, you know, what, what resonates most with you when you travel? Oh, boy, it really depends on where I am. I, um, I have, you know, I've thought a lot about this because people – like to, you know, identify, they like to say, I'm this kind of photographer. And I kind of let other people do that for me. So then when when they decide I'm a landscape photographer, then I say, yes, (laughs) I am a landscape photographer, by golly. And then they'll say, I'm a travel photographer. I'll say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. But I see myself as a storyteller. And I see myself as a, I use photography to work stuff out for myself. And try to make sense of the world and try to, you know, bring more light into the world. I have a whole philosophy and a whole reason why 
I do it that's deeper than probably this conversation wants to go. But well, maybe not. I, I don't know that we want to go you know, a, a two-hour lecture on it, which I've heard, and it's a great one, by the way. Um, <laughs> maybe you can – can we do cliff notes on that for – yeah, like cliff notes is cliff notes is when I was a child I used to have visions and um was like I thought it was normal. And so I when I set out in my life I always thought, Oh, my biggest favoritist vision was had to do with this big stage, standing on this stage and light coming through and washing out on people. And so then I just everything I did I I thought, well, is this what I do? So that that so that you know, you kind of like bring those things together and you know, so acting, singing, um, riding horses was just natural because we did it. But photography was always part of it because you're creating with light and you're actually able to imprint yourself and your feeling and message and everything into this gorgeous image that moves people. And when you're on the Internet, it goes out to the world. And I thought, well, that's great. That's a great way to kind of bring that vision into present time and to life. So it, it's kind of like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's it's extremely I, – I think a lot of us maybe do that but can't enunciate it kind of like that, you know? I mean, I think that wh- no matter what, you know, I mean, I play music professionally for a lot of years and the photography thing. And, you know, once you're an artist, it, it doesn't matter what kind of art you're into, whether no. you're – Writer, it's, all or, it's all the same. It's all the same, you know. Mm-hmm. And what you're trying to do is tell the story, and it's a great way to put it. Yeah, and when I teach, it's from that point of view. I I taught everything I've ever done for 45, 50 years, something like that, because yeah. I am in fact 150 years old. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so, I quit teaching for a really long time because I just got so burnt out on. <sighs> teaching the way I was doing it. And I swore when I quit, this was like 15, 20 years ago, that if I ever came back to it, I would do it on my own terms. I would do it the way I wanted to, that made me feel good. And I just wanted to go and fill up again, you know? So when, when the photography thing happened, the short story of that is that I just decided I wanted to teach it from this point of view of how do you bring who you are how do you bring that spark of divine fire into everything that you do and so everything that i teach and say and when i speak and present and lead retreats around the world it's always starts there and then if we talk gear which i don't mind talking gear and i don't mind talking technique and all those things but this has to be in place first otherwise it is so boring i just want to fall over yeah and you know that kind of brings me to my next question and um, and again, I, th- I think I know the answer because we've talked about this, but mm-hmm. I, I want to get talk about this for our listeners. Um, in in my workshops and the ones that John and I run together, and I know John's got the same philosophy that you know we, we have our, our cameras with us and we have all our gear with us and we're out doing whatever we're doing. And I think we've all the three of us are most photographers who have made it in this business and there's tons of them i think we look for light don't we before we look for something to photograph if you really think yep. about it yeah we look for light and we 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 come from light in that like way people say i'm going to go out and photograph barns today well you know damn <laughs> it don't light why you know 
And and I I notice in your work, um, your work and kind of kind of it's almost a style. Your your images are a depiction of the subject, but you use the light to make them to transform them. I guess that's a good word. Well, and I think for me, it goes back to how I feel about life and my purpose in being here and my entire mission and reason for being, which is that light, it's, you know, it's light defines your life. So light defines the, just what you said. What did you say exactly? That. It's, it's all about the light. It um, is all about the light. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's all about creating with it. It's all about, you know, and I, even on my worst day, and believe me, I have them, um, I go, I have a choice. And I can choose light. And what would that look like? It's like with the beginning of this year, um, I had a really challenging last year. And then this year has been challenging, but for entirely different reasons. And I was just feeling really at odds and couldn't get my mojo. And I was like, oh, I don't know who I am anymore. And I was just finding myself not thinking good thoughts. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I was, um, you know, kind of down in the mouth, as they say. And I was like, all right. I've done because of who I was as a kid. I've done a lot of personal development work, and I, and I so I have a lot of tools. It's not that I'm always upbeat and always have all the answers. It's just that I have really good tools. So I had to work. I had to work at school myself, and I said, "Okay, let's make this simple." Because I know simple is always best. And I said, "What's the one thing you could focus on every day without making it complicated and getting into a whole bunch of stuff?" that would shift this whole thing. What's the one-stop shop? And it's awe, A-W-E, pure yep. and simple. <laughs> Thus began my year of awe, which I just decided every day, no matter how simply I did it, even if it was just to lie in bed and look up at the ceiling and say, hello, awe, hello, hello, is anyone there? I would do that. And um, it's really changed things a lot. Not that every day is easy, but every day I do that. So... And, and oftentimes, just kind of to add on to that, Karen, thank you for that. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, Jack mm -hmm. and I have been talking about, uh, you know, slowing down and just leaving your camera in the bag and just appreciating mm -hmm. where you're at, whether you're out photographing or running through day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. kind of to get that sense of awe. It's, a, it's really a conscious effort where you need to stop and pause and go, wow. I'm here. Yep. I'm blessed with this. I'm healthy. I, you know, whatever it is. I'm looking at a beautiful flower. You know, all of those things can bring that sense of awe into our lives if well, we stop. Thing, it, exactly. You have to stop. And the thing about awe, you know, we know these things that, you know, oh, oh yes, awe is best. Well, they've actually <laughs> done um, – you may hear thunder in the background. We have a little thunderstorm going on outside. They've done research, actual research on awe, and they're they're being able to quantify now the what it does. They have a definition for it and the transformational quality of it and the instantaneous transformational quality of it, why it's important and what it does to brain function, cognitive function, the immune system, um, sociologically how we are with each other and with ourselves. There's, there's quite a laundry list of they can really point to um, the actual psychological, physiological, and sociological benefits of awe, which is an, uh, it, which is really instantaneous in nature. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and that's you know for me whenever I 
taking it back to photography, whenever I go out and land at a scene, and, and Jack preaches this as well, is, you know, leave your camera in the bag, stand there, get connected to your to your subject, whatever it is you're shooting. And usually for me, I try to invoke a sense of awe or humbleness or wonder or one of those great emotions before I ever pull out the camera because I think that that helps me produce better work when I'm out in the field. Absolutely. I mean, if I if I can't get there, which happens sometimes, mm-hmm. I mean, none of us are machines. Um, I'm not in the zone. Everything I do sucks. And then I either go home or I just put the camera in my car and just don't do anything. Just go out and walk around and just say the best pictures I'm taking today are in my head. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is you kind of realize how insignificant we really are. Yep. You, that. you know, I have a piece of mud, little, just a little couple-inch square of mud in my garage. And in that mud is a, uh, a clamshell that is somewhere between 1 and 200 million years old that nobody knows. Wow. I always look at that on my way out to a workshop because I realize that, you know what I'm doing here. I love what I do and all that good stuff, but you know it's, we're really, we're really not that important. <laughs> yeah. No. no, we're not. But you know, if there were ever a time to bring a little more light into people's lives, it would be now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, one of my favorite sayings, and I say this every time, every time I have a chance to, it's that saying that Dante Alighieri, who wrote Dante's Inferno in the 13th century, said it: that beauty awakens the soul to act. And so, you know, beauty and awe kind of go hand in hand and literally free your soul to, to act. And I'm like, if there were ever a time in history we need that, that would be right now. And and it opens your your everything up to either write or photograph or Yep. The whole thing. It's know. a one stop shop. That's why I decided it would be my focus. So anyhow, um, that I didn't want you know, that's that's a great couple of minutes there. I think that was interesting. Um you know, uh, I guess I, I was going to. One of the questions I had for you is, why do you like to photograph? And I think you just answered that, so I, I don't think we need to yeah. beat a dead horse on that. Um, so, Karen, a, Karen let me ask you. So, uh, while Jack's going, let me let me ask you about. So, looking through your portfolio, right? You've got a breadth of images, a fantastic portfolio of images. And one of the things that sort of strikes me is your use of color and how strong of an element color is in your photographs. Uh, am mm-hmm. I right or wrong in yeah. that? Yeah, it is unless it's, unless it's black and white because my roots are monochrome. black and white. Yeah. yeah. So, do you, do yep. you prefer shooting in color or monochrome? I love both. These days. I'm, I'm color agnostic. I mean, I when I'm doing color, I experience I exp- even though I don't necessarily visually see that this vibrancy and color all the time, but I experience the feeling of it. Like that's how I feel the most alive is when I have the feeling of really vibrant color inside. My mother loved color. We always had a lot of color, you know, in our house and in our lives and in our clothing. And it was just a thing. So I just never lost it. Mm. I'm looking at, I would agree with John. I'm looking at a couple of your images and I get the color thing. And I also love how it's not, uh, you're, you you know where to stop that slider as you move it to the right. <laughs> and you do it and 
not uh, overdoing overdoing life. Hey, um, you know, I always tell folks on these podcasts that whenever we talk about uh, cognitive things in a workshop and we go to our Q&A, the Q&A is inevitably falls into what camera do you use? What filter do you use? Right. I know. Isn't that funny? And, and we all know that's not the key to success. But, um, you know, John is uh, John is an X-T3 and a GFX-50 user. Uh, and we, we're, the three of us are devout Fujifilm camera yep. people. Absolutely. And, and it doesn't mean that if you don't have a Fuji camera, you can't make a perfectly great photograph because you can. Um, but, Karen, what are the tools that you carry in your camera bag? Do you, do you have a a set uh, a set bag that you carry, or do you change things? Well, I change. Well, you know, it depends on the activity. So, like, I just came back from France and Italy, and I just needed to keep my gear low, you know, kind of low key. Right. So I took um, two XT threes. And then the 18 to 135, the 50 to 200, and then the 10 to um, 24, which I actually didn't use hardly at all. I pretty much only used in this in the situations that I was in. Um, pretty much used the 18 to 135, probably 90 percent of the time, and then filled in with the two uh, 50 to 55 to 200. It's a very uh, underrated lens. Um, you know, in Greenland, you can only carry from Iceland to Greenland. Greenland, you can only carry like six pounds on the plane. Right. So I have a big weight problem, and I'm carrying a 14 and an 18 and 135 for 10 days over there with no problem. Yep. Isn't that amazing? I know. Really? I freaking love that lens, and I don't know why it's so undersung, but it really like cuts down the weight. You only need to carry this one, and it's so crisp and clean and. It's- yeah, I'm just getting ready to write an article about my trip and that lens because it was a workhorse. And what did you do in France? Um, well, visiting friends in France, but I did a road trip and, you know, photographed around the French Riviera. But the yeah. the real reason for the trip was my um, photography retreat in Venice and the Dolomites in Italy. And oh. so that was – so I visited friends before and after, but um, – that was the real activity. It was a nine-day retreat. Hanging out in Monte Carlo with your with your buddies at the Grand yeah, Pacific pretty much. Yeah, and the, the yachts and the yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Monaco yeah. yacht people. Yeah, yeah, they're my people. Yeah, I'm I not. know. <laughs> So. Yeah. Sorry, John. We didn't mean to leave you out. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine. It, Karen, you know, you touched on your retreats. How do you – so could you talk a little bit about your retreats and how they may be different than your workshops or some of your other yeah. offerings? I just – I you know, I call them all retreats anymore just out of habit. Um, I used to kind of blend it so people knew what I was talking about, but it seems like everybody's doing retreats now. So it's it's a lot more common. Um, basically we go to amazing places in the world and they they vary from like five days to nine days. Um, <clears throat> it might be here in the U S uh, this one was in Italy. I've done them in France and essentially they're focused around finding your artistic voice with, uh, like this one's, this one was that because they're all called the artist voice series. Um, it's just the artist's voice and then whatever location. So, but this one was about, this was all alumni. So they've all been through the course before. So this was elevated and it was more about seeing photographically the power of awe 
and, um, you know, putting all that together into storytelling. So we told some powerful stories and had some amazing experiences and did it from the point of view of this grounded, focused place that I know how to get people to because that's my training um, throughout all the disciplines I've ever done. We all had a preparation and so, um, but photographers don't seem to have that. So I teach all my people that, and it's amazing what a difference it makes. Wow. Could you, just, just for our listeners, could you give us a little definition of what you mean by the artist's voice and how it's applied yeah, in so, your retreats? So, I mean, it's a, it's a term that I coined, you know how you don't know what else to call something, so you <laughs> call it what it is. <laughs> and, yep. then, and then it becomes the name and you're like, oh, it wasn't that creative, but it was what it was. It, when I started teaching, like I said, I wasn't going to go back to teaching until I got to do it the way I wanted to, which meant from this in from taking the creative cycle, which should ideally start inside, then move out and then back in again, i.e. you get the idea, you have the feeling, then you pick the camera up and then you take the photo and then you look at it and you assess and see how it how close it came to how you felt and whether it has that um, signature feeling in it that you had when you looked at whatever it was, then you take it back inside, rinse and repeat. So it should be a cycle. It shouldn't ever just stop and spin, you know? Um, so there's a, there's an, there's a flow to it. There's like an ebb and a flow. So artistic voice is really, how do you put that signature mark, that signature feeling and embed the, the pixels of your images with the feeling? So, I've learned a few things about that over the years, and that's nice. kind of where we start. You know, there's a there's a distinction that I make for myself, for myself only. It's, it's sometimes I'll shoot from the head and sometimes I'll shoot from the heart. And, you know, really what I mean by that is sometimes I'll shoot cerebrally and I'll think technically and I'll think in different ways. Other times I shoot on pure emotion. And it sounds like... Um, you know, for you, you, you are emotionally driven in how you create your images. Well, I'm, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was like on the hunt for where to be for this, what I knew was going to be a really good sunset. And I thought, so am I shooting technically? Am I being a machine? And am I being a trophy hunter? Um, because I, I think the way you feel and what you desire and what you love if you are disciplined, if you if you've like, okay, look at it as a figure skater. Even um, you want to be able to do a triple axle, you got to be trained, and you've got to be technical, and you've got to be you know you got to be able to do the thing, and do it right now under you know any time anywhere, under any kind of pressure. Then you know you're a master of that move, um, and that move you might put into a program that is your life story, and is so filled with emotion, but is is grounded in a technique that allows you to carry it out on this masterful level that really gets the point across. So in that scenario, it's the perfect blend of emotion and technical, which is how I see photography. Um, if I'm if I because it all happens so fast a lot of the time. And if you're not, if you haven't mastered your technique to be able to go bim, bam, boom, bum, bop, then you're going to miss it. So you got to be enough of a technician to do that, but not have that rule a day. And until it becomes enough of an ingrained, like a muscle that's already strong, if it has to be ingrained so that, you know, you may, you may think you're shooting technically, but if what draws you to what it is you're shooting is 
what you love and what you really feel, even though you may not dwell on it in that moment, it's still heart driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. very good. Do you? How do you get? Because I know some folks shoot primarily from the head, technically, and and there's nothing wrong <laughs> with that. It's all good. How do you imbibe people with, or, or train them, help to train them to to shoot a little bit more from the heart? Well, I find it's it's a lot like teaching voice, which is another reason why I use voice in the artistic voice is because I've used my voice so much in the last 30 years and I've taught, you know, I taught television news, uh, radio, radio and television broadcasters for 25 years. So you have to have a certain mastery of the voice to be able to even put it together with the feeling. But I find that in order in order to learn that, you got to separate it. So in in uh, when you talk about this thing that you just asked me um we put the technique aside and i and then we talk about preparation we talk about okay technique i I always liken it to you can learn your technique technique in half an hour then what Mm -hmm. so but it takes a lifetime to develop a point of view and a signature and what it is you really want to say that's what to spend the time on and then use the technique um build it as needed to accommodate what it is you want to say now because that's how you build in your mind it's a lot of it's just the way you think that okay what i really want to create is this but i don't know how to do xyz i don't know how to set my camera on you know bracketing all right then go learn how to bracket then go back over here and shoot that thing you love how did that go you know so you you have to keep it stacked in the right order in your mind um that's how I learned Photoshop. I didn't dig in. I, like, I didn't go and take a bunch of courses in Photoshop. I went, oh, I want to I create something that looks like this. How do you do that? Yeah. It's just little by little I layered my education. I yep. was the same way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very, it's very difficult to be able to use both sides of your brains at once. And I mentioned in an interview we did uh, prior to this afternoon that um, there was about a seven-year study done at Harvard, and it has been proven that not symphonic players and not opera singers and not um, any other kind of musicians are able to do that other than jazz and musicians that improvise. Well, yeah, because you're training that way. So you asked me what I do to help people learn that. And and there is a process of grounding and focusing that you connect with your body and your breath in a very specific, portable, simple way that connects you more into where the intuitive part of you lies. I think the native, this is my personal opinion, that the, the native, we're all so natively creative that if you took that energy and harnessed it, it could light up, you know, a city the size of New York, just one person and their creativity. I think we don't always have access to it due to the layers upon layers upon layers that get heaped on it in some people's lives. But there is a place inside that if you know how to sort of um, stack the blocks, if you want to think of it that way, in the right order, you stand a much better chance of letting that come out. And it usually comes out unbidden in a strange way and you can't make it happen but there are things you can do to to um uh, what am i trying to say raise the chances of being in the right place at the right time yeah and when it happens man it's the best it's the best and it's like magic and that 
is awe. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> when awe happens and it changes everything. It shifts you into a whole other dimension and all of a sudden you go, oh, oh. It's okay, that Yeah, that, that happened and that changes everything. Yeah. You yeah, can't yeah, yeah. teach someone how to do that. All you can do is help them align themselves so that that thing more because we're hardwired for that. That's yeah. not like I'm not teaching somebody how to do something they don't already know how to do. All I'm doing is like clearing the way so that that native thing has a chance of showing up. Well, Which I hope that I've the to speak to this or getting this and maybe would uh, consider spending some time with you because I think it would be very beneficial. I have one Fuji-related, uh, um, not a question, but something that I'd like to talk about for just a minute that has to do with what we were saying. Karen, mm-hmm. what kind of uh, cameras were you using prior to Fujifilm? Canon. Okay. So when you switched to Fujifilm, when I moved from Nikon to uh, Fujifilm cameras, because of the way that the camera was constructed and where the buttons and dials were, it was so ergonomic. It was so, it was like, it was like, uh, man, it was a, it was like opening up a whole new world for me because I didn't have to deal with menus. I didn't have to deal with stuff that I could worry about being more creative and kind of doing some of the things that you're talking about, maybe not yep. at the level that you do them, but because I didn't have to worry about all this technical stuff that some of the menus are just convoluted and, you know, everything's right there. It's right in your hand. Did you find the same thing? I'm going to ask you the Absolutely, because uh, I mean, I shot Canon before, but my, um, you know, the camera that, like, you know how there's that one camera or that one person or that one situation that like affects the rest of your life in some particular kind of way. I so that that camera for me, um, the last one of the series that I used that was that camera for me was the uh, Minolta SRT 102, mm-hmm. and I can literally put my Fujifilm next to my my old SRT 102 and they look virtually the same or yeah. similar. So yeah, it was like all the knobs and dials are on the outside. And plus, you know, I was a figure skater and a dancer and a blah, blah, blah. And you were a musician. So we're muscle memory people. Yep. So to be able to use muscle memory versus have to switch to my left side of my brain to figure out where in the menu something is, um, that's, that's a game changer right there. Yeah. Well, I just, it was a, a, an opening and I, you know, like a jaw dropping thing almost. Jaw yeah. Dropping. I mean, I it's, know, it we, we, we talked about this a few times, but never really got into it. Did you? Oh, it you was, were, it was such a breath of fresh air for me. My whole creative space was reinvigorated when I made the switch and, and it was, it was amazing. And it's still continuing today. Many years later, shooting Fujifilm, I still have that freshness and i think karen i think you said it the best that it's you know it's muscle memory and it's not having to switch over to the other side of our brain when we're in that creative space we don't want to switch over we want mm-hmm. to stay in that creative space and that's where the the ergonomics and the user interface of this camera allow us to stay in that creative space and not switch over exactly and then when you don't have to work so hard to get what it is you see slash feel i don't know whether you're feeling it more or seeing it more honestly it gets all kind of you know it's just in there then when your result is closer to that you know natively that's pretty genius too yeah it is is. karen let's talk about what you have coming up um 
I think if I saw right, you have another event coming up in October. I have I have another retreat coming up in October. Yes, October sixth to the eleventh of this year, two thousand nineteen, uh, at Lake Tahoe. We're working on another Italy, a different uh, place in Italy next year. Um, I also have Photoshop World coming up in August. A road trip with my truck and trailer. Um, we've got some Fujifilm projects and things I'm working on. I'm going to New York in October, I think. New York in October, yep. And uh, good Lord, it's been a year. And then I'm going to sit and figure out, okay, this was a little too busy for me this year. (laughs) (laughs) What stays and what goes? And then, uh, because I got some projects and some dreams that I've just been itching to get my hands on, but haven't had nearly enough time to just even get them going. Well, you know, we could go on here um, for much longer. And I love if you could promise us that when you get all of that stuff together, that you'll come back and talk to us because this was a really, really fun, um, I guess, half hour, 45 minutes or so here. And uh, I I think that our listeners are going to just listen to this twice, folks. Don't just listen to it. (laughs) It's it's going to take twice to listen to this. And Please just try to understand a little bit of what Karen was saying, and you'll be a better photographer for it, a better person. And and if you're to take away one thing, my biggest takeaway today, Karen, thank you, is uh, the phrase, the power of awe. Right? I think that's a great phrase, and that's what I'm walking away with today. I think we ought to call this podcast, The Power of Awe. Yeah. And we'll give Karen the... Credit. Trademark trademark that. Trademark on that, you know. So, folks, we'll um, we'll post up links to Karen's website on our web page. But uh, for those who you don't go to the web page, it's KarenHutton.com. You can see all of her workshops and voice work, um, retreats, her gallery. It's a wonderful visit if you go out and take some time to go look through her. Yeah, body I, thought I, was, I thought I was busy, John. Karen. Yeah. Out of control. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's a little much this year. Honestly, but uh, I'll tell you, I've learned a lot. You gotta, you gotta play to win. So, yep. and I don't, I don't mean just win by the results, but I mean you have to engage. To people say, well, how do I find my voice? How do I? My best, one of my best teachers was when I was an actor. She became my agent, but she came to a class and she said, my one piece of advice for you as actors, and this is true for photographers too, is that all you have as, as, as to work with is you. You're it. So it's you and your point of of view and her point to us as actors was, so if you need to travel, if you need to get in a relationship or break up from a relationship, if you need to get, you know, counseling or therapy, whatever it is to crack the code on that, do it because you're it. So I really feel that photography is a lot the same. You got to engage. You got to open your mind. You got to try stuff. You got to get you got to get dirty. There's always a shower. (laughs) Living life and growing as a person is very much an active pursuit. Yeah. Not a passive one. But it's fun. It's fun. Oh, yeah. It's totally fun. It's totally fun. Nobody said it wasn't fun. What's wrong with you, Jack? (laughs) Say it's a guess, you know. (laughs) It's a bit of pleasure. Uh, Keep this quick. www.wetalkphoto.com. You can um, subscribe 
uh, to the various methods that this podcast is uh, is is out there, as well as uh, find our email, which is at wetalkphoto at gmail dot com. Comments, questions, uh, suggestions, um, something you didn't like, something you liked. It's all good. And it's been our pleasure. Karen, you're the best. Uh, John, I'll talk to you uh, when I talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Appreciate it. Take care. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye.